to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God, and we worship the one and only true God. The Bible affirms his deity in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, which say this, the gospel concerning the grace of God has appeared to all men. And that means it has been made obvious to everyone from the inside of them and from the outside of them, bringing salvation to all men. Titus 2.12, instructing believers in Christ to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to not go back to acting like we were when we were unbelievers, because we abandoned our old life desires and refused to imitate the lives of unbelievers. Instead, we live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in this present evil age. Titus 2.13, looking with absolute confidence for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus the Christ the Jewish Messiah. So Jesus Christ will be coming back for us in a future time, and we eagerly wait for that time. Why does Barah... Oh, there's one more verse in Titus 2.14. Who gave himself, this Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for us at the cross to redeem us from every lawless deed, which means paying for all of our sins, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people zealous to do good works. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, you believers in Christ learn the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. God provides this ministry to give you a mental sanctuary, a refuge where you can learn supernatural truth, that provides divine solutions to your human problems. The Lord's arms are wide open to his believers, but especially to unbelievers. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this, And the ones who come to me to believe in me, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast them out into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. And a lot of the religions of the world portray God as this God who wants to have his foot over our head to stomp on us and to condemn us to hell, and that is not how God is at all. God wants his believers 
to study the Word of God, and he wants unbelievers to respond positively to the gospel message. Well, why do Christians study the Word of God? We get to know the Lord by studying the Bible because the Bible is his exact thinking revealed. It's not just a book that's out of date. It wasn't a bunch of guys just sitting around writing their opinions. It wasn't, uh, uh, there aren't any contradictions in it as all of the people who are religious claim. Instead, it's a great way for us to develop our relationship with the Lord as we get to know his mind. The Lord provided his thoughts to edify us. 2 Timothy chapters 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? That it was exhaled by God into the writers of scripture, and they wrote exactly what he told them to write without any modification of their writing style, of their will, or of their literary competence. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good works. The Lord wants his believers to grow up spiritually by studying his thoughts. Well, but God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. Satan is the sponsor of false teachers, a group of charlatans who use false teaching to deceive the whole world. So if you are in this world, you are deceived in some way by the ruler of this world. And instead of souring on false teachers, what most people do is they sour on God. Instead of souring on the churches that we were involved in who were teaching false teaching, we sour on God. And that is the brilliance of Satan to get you not to blame him for what he's doing, but to blame God for what he's doing. These false teachers are counterfeiters of truth, just like Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15 say this, For such men, that's a reference to false teachers, are counterfeit apostles, deceitful workers, liars, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. How do you recognize a $20 bill if it's counterfeit? You better know what a real $20 bill looks like because deception is really excellent. Deception is so close to the truth that you can't deceive, you can't perceive the lie. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11.15, Therefore, it's not surprising at all that Satan's servants, false teachers, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And notice that. It's not according to their sins. It's according to their deeds, because Jesus Christ paid for every sin of every creature, past, present, and future, at the cross. So our issue isn't sin. Our issue is our deed. And so false teachers will be in the lake of fire because of their deeds. And the the one deed that they'll be in the lake of fire because of is the rejection of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the end, 
the deception perpetrated by false teachers will be their undoing as they spend eternity in the lake of fire. Today's Bible lesson, what impact is your ministry having on the world? That's a specific message to believers in Christ. What impact is your ministry having on the world? Well, you've probably heard the term go viral, uh, referring to the Internet. When a message gains popularity, as people share the message with their friends, and then their friends share the message with their friends, and then their friends' friends share the message until millions have seen or heard the message. The Lord Jesus Christ made a simple command in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, to 11 cowards. Here's what he said. He said, go and disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am with you always, even to the end of the age. The gospel was the first message to go viral. The good news concerning the salvation offer, free of charge, by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Eleven men, the apostles, no more special than you and I, in fact, cowards, who abandoned their Lord and leader at a time he needed them most when he was being led to the cross, spread the message of the gospel to the entire inhabited world. And they did it on foot and by mouth, not through the Internet, not by use of phones, not by use of any technology. And in today's lesson, we'll learn why the most powerful message in divine history isn't going viral today. Well, let's hear some music. So there is... Uh, when you when you think about what a ministry really is, it's a blessing. But it's filled with tribulation. The blessing of being a Christian is filled with tribulation. Here's Laura's story to tell us about one of the issues in her life as she sings this beautiful song, Blessing. Protection while we sleep We pray for healing For prosperity We pray for your mighty hand To ease our suffering And all the while You hear each spoken need Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? 
Let us pray. You got it? We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the so great salvation you orchestrated for all mankind through the sacrificial death of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who chose to endure the the cross so that all mankind could be saved. Thank you for the resistance that message faces because of our enemy Satan, his false teachers, 
and their false teaching. And thank you for using cowardly men to disseminate the gospel message. By doing so, you let us know that it's not special people who spread messages, but it's determined people who make a decision and then follow their decision with hard work. Father, give us the courage to spread your message of salvation today, just like your 11 apostles apostles did when your son was here on earth. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel message of Christ. Show us how to make the gospel message easy to hear. Use the omnipotent power of God the Holy Spirit to convict the world in such a way that they are struck deep within their hearts by the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what impact is your ministry having on the world? What impact is your ministry having on the world? Well, Saber, you got here a little late, so you didn't hear me say welcome, so welcome. And what's your friend's name, Judy? Oh, Jean Gu- Yeah, Judy. Old Judy. Uh, hi, Judy. Now, Jean Guberti. That's a rather unfortunate name. So I, yeah, but I'm I, I'm pretty sure she probably married into that, right? So, you know, can't have everything. So, anyway, welcome to Bra Ministries. I want to start with a quiz. I think we're about seven lessons into Colossians now. And so those of you who come to Barah Ministries every week ought to know the answer to this quiz. But what is, you know, every Bible letter is communicating about a problem in a church. And it's a problem that not only happened in that first century church, but also problems that are happening in our churches today. So what's the problem that this letter is addressing? about the first century church in Colossae. What is it? False teachers and false teaching. Exactly. And that's that same thing's happening today. If you've ever been on a diet, you've been lied to. If you've ever been to a religious church, you've been lied to. For example, I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years on the track to be a Jesuit priest, certain that I was worshiping the Jesus Christ of the universe and learned that that's a counterfeit Jesus. The Jesus of Roman Catholicism did not finish the work of salvation at the cross. That's a lie. And can you imagine dedicating 21 years of your life to that? On the track to to be a Jesuit priest, they are the most serious of all the priests. They are the Marines of priests. Can you imagine being on a track like that and then discovering that you had allowed yourself to be lied to for years? It was devastating. I curled up in the fetal position on the floor and was crying like a baby. I mean, that sobbing crying where you can't catch your breath. And so all of us need to always be assessing whether we're living in deception. Now, we don't want to look at that. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to look in that mirror because our parents couldn't have lied to us and and. And, and I couldn't have been deceived. And that's why in relationships, when somebody finds out that the other person's lying to them, it's so devastating because we're just so naive sometimes 
and we think we can't be fooled. But there's nobody that can't be fooled. And if you don't understand who the, en- the enemy of God is and you don't understand how, how skillful he is at deceiving, oh well. So that's what we're learning about in Colossians. False teachers with false teaching who, after a church has been established, sneak into the church with emissaries who are going to tell us that we should doubt what we just did, which is believe in Christ that we should be confused about what happens to us when we close our eyes in this life. And that maybe you'll get to heaven, but maybe you won't. For all the people who have just focused on the Old Testament, heaven wasn't even mentioned much in the Old Testament. So a lot of people who just study the Old Testament, like my Jewish friends, think there is no heaven and there is no hell. That's a deception. There is. But here's the thing. Nobody can convert you. Nobody can tell you what you ought to think. Nobody can tell you what you ought to feel. You have to make the decision for yourself. But you're not bright if you don't make a decision on examination of the facts. This isn't a feeling thing. This is a fact thing. And we need to examine the facts. So the question today that I'm asking believers in Christ as the last part of chapter 1 of Colossians is what impact is your ministry having on the world? Now speaking for myself, I can say not quite enough impact right now and not as much impact as it will have in the future. Every week when I spell check a Bible lesson, I get an error message when this question is checked. Why does Barah Ministries exist? Well, why is that giving me an error message? Because ministries is plural. And so the spell checker has a little difficulty with that because what it wants me to say is, why does Barah Ministry exist? No, it's ministries. And so one of the ministries in Barah Ministries is mine, me teaching you. But all of you as believers in Christ have ministries too. What's your ministry? And that's one of the most fun things I do in my uh, pastor job is to ask people, what's your spiritual gift? And I love that look that believers in Christ get on their face when you ask them, what's your spiritual gift? And, then, and they cough up a furball because they've never stopped to consider the fact that we come to Barah Ministries not just to receive, but to receive so we can give. And a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to go to big churches and they want to hide. Because nobody's going to ask them what their spiritual gift is in the big church. Nobody's going to ask them, what impact is your ministry having on the world? But that's what we were created for as believers in Christ, to have an impact on the world, to to go and disciple all the nations. So Barah Ministries was not created by God to be a single ministry. It was created to have many ministries within it. And it's about time that the people who are part of Barah Ministry stepped up to that. So, right now, it's a ministry. But the questions that demand your reflection are these. What is your ministry? 
and what impact is your ministry having on the world? And today we'll conclude our study of Colossians chapter 1. And the subject, not so oddly enough, is ministry. Here's a quick review of chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul introduces himself to a set of first century believers in Christ that he will never meet. The believers are at Colossae, Laodicea, and Aeropolis, home-based churches pastored by one of Paul's students, Epaphras. So Paul was really the grandfather of these churches. Barah Ministries began as a home-based ministry 24 years ago with four kids at a dining room table. So the churches in the first century began that way. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul gives thanks for these believers based on what he's hearing from Epaphras. Paul is in prison in Rome, and Epaphras comes over to talk to him, and he said that these believers are committed to the Christian way of living. And what is the Christian way of living? It's a life of faith in God, where you put your total confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and for everything else. It's a life of hope, and hope in English is way different than hope in Greek. Hope in Greek is absolute confidence. Hope in English is, I hope so. Are you going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so, which indicates, well, I don't really know. Why would you want to live your whole life not knowing whether you're going to go to heaven or not? Why would, that's scary. That's frightening. And that's what I'm experiencing now. I've had a lot of friends who have left the earth. And the thing that always occurs to me is, did I, did I tell them the gospel message? Did I let them know as a pastor, but, but more as a friend, what it takes to get to heaven? Did I let them know? Did I invite them to learn from me and to hear my teaching so that they could know? Because I, I went through 50 years of living and teaching lies before God the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that the things that I was engaged in weren't going to get me anywhere, much less to heaven. And that's the kind of pastor you want to study with. You want to study with a pastor who's had his ass kicked. You want to study with a pastor who's been through the lies and who had to find his way out of that. So... In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, it's the Christian way of living is faith in God. It's an absolute confidence about an amazing future to be spent face-to-face with the Lord in heaven. And it's a life of unconditional love for others, even when others have faults, and even when others hurt you, especially family members. Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, Paul congratulates these believers for responding to the true gospel message. Because if there's a true gospel message, Satan will counterfeit it. And he will want you to believe a false message. They responded to placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation as the ticket to eternal life. And when you have eternal life, which is a gift God gives you right at the moment of salvation, it is not a future event. When you have eternal life, you know that while this body of yours will die, and most of us will be very glad that the body is dying, 
because maybe we don't have all our parts or maybe we have some condition that's part of our body that we would wish was not there, right? And so it'll be great to shed this, but to be given a resurrection body that's recognizable by family and friends, those who decided to place their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. So rather than facing the wrath of God the Father on their own, people who believe in Christ have decided to count on the finished work of Jesus Christ who bore the wrath of God for us by shedding his blood at the cross. And you remember when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the thing that unbelievers are going to be saying when they experience the wrath of God on their own when they could have let Jesus Christ face that wrath for them. 1 Peter chapter 2, 20, uh, verse 24 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we believers in Christ might die to the sovereignty of sin, and live to the standard of absolute righteousness. For by the Lord's wounds we were healed. What happens at the moment of salvation? God the Holy Spirit imputes to you, credits to your account, absolute righteousness, and that's your admission ticket to heaven. So if you think you can get to heaven by being a good person, I got news for you, you can't. The Bible says you're not a good person. You need an admission ticket to heaven, and the admission ticket is absolute righteousness, and you know deep down in your soul that you are not absolutely righteous, and if you've ever sinned in your lifetime, you're not absolutely righteous. But when God credits his righteousness to you, that's even better. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, Paul prays for these believers in first century Colossae. And in so doing, Paul teaches us to pray for the things that may not be in the content of our prayers to God the Father, such as praying for the power to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul gives a biography of the preeminent one, our Lord, our Savior, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ Jesus, his name is the name above every other name. And in the future, there is a quite certain fact revealed in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, which says this, God the Father highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every other name. Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and of those who are on the earth and of those who are under the earth, Philippians 2.11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's the sign right behind my head. It's practice for you. Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that fact to the glory of God the Father. And every time I hear these set of verses, I think of a Jewish friend of mine who I evangelized to at least a hundred times. And she kept telling me, Rory, I'm Jewish. And what she was saying by saying that is there's nothing better to be than Jewish. She's right. 
There's nothing better to be than Jewish. They are the chosen race from a chosen nation, Israel. But that won't get you to heaven. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 9, all Israel is not Israel. Just because you're a racial Jew doesn't mean you're a spiritual Jew. Spiritual Jews are like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed in Jehovah Elohim, and he credited it to their account as righteousness. And so that always just makes me shudder inside to know that if my friend doesn't figure this out before she leaves this earth, that she's going to spend all eternity in the lake of fire thinking about Rory Clark evangelizing to her a hundred times and inviting her to the free gift of salvation that she, as a Jewish woman, is entitled to. By five or nine words. Now, in the final passage of the chapter, which is what we're going to study today, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, Paul talks about his ministry. So what Paul is doing this whole chapter is setting up the second powerful chapter where he starts talking about what the false teachers are doing to deceive. But here, he established his authority as an apostle. He thanked them for living the life. He thanked them for responding positively to the gospel message. He told them who Jesus Christ is. He prayed for them. And now he's going to talk to them about ministry. So let's take a look and a listen to what he has to say in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. He says, Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, the physical body, I do my share on behalf of Jesus' body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Colossians 1.25, Of this church, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, preaching about the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, a mystery that has now been manifested, that means being made clearly visible to God the Father's saints. Colossians 1.27, to whom God the Father willed to make known what are the glorious riches of this previously hidden mystery, making it clear among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you, which is hope, complete confidence of your future glory. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all spiritual wisdom so that we may present every man who's in union with Christ. That's the Greek expression in Christo Jesus. No finer expression in Greek than that. In Christ Jesus. That we may present every man who is in union with Christ as complete at a future time before God the Father. That's one of the great things that pastors have to look forward to. We'll get a chance to stand with the people who have responded to the gospel message that we've presented in heaven. And we'll get to introduce all of these people to the Lord and say, this is a person who responded positively to the gospel message.
Now, let's study the passage verse by verse. What does the Lord mean when he says, take up your cross and follow me? In Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Here's what he's saying. Oh, I missed uh, Colossians 1.29. For this purpose also I, Paul, labor, striving according to God the Father's power, which mightily works in me. Okay, now. Let's study the passage verse by verse. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If, for the sake of argument, anyone wants to come after me as a follower of mine, he must lose sight of himself and his own interests, that's ego, and at once he must take up his cross and carry it and keep on following me. Mark 8.35 For whoever wishes to save his soul life will lose it. But whoever loses his soul life for my sake and for the gospel message's sake will save it. Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to simultaneously forfeit his soul? Mark chapter 8, verse 37. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this generation that is adulterous and sinful, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when the Lord comes in the glory of his Father with the elect holy angels. So you have a choice to make with your spiritual life. You have a life of service, and that requires sacrifice and suffering. Or you can live a life of comfort, pseudo-security and pursuit.
This is the other line. Check. You got it? Okay. All right, so we'll pick it up uh, right after Mark 8.38. So, you ready? The recording's still going? All right, so you have a choice to make with your spiritual life. It's a little too loud. Turn it down a little bit. So you have a choice to make with your spiritual life. You can live a life of service requiring sacrifice and suffering. Or you can live a life of comfort, pseudo-security, and perceived safety. At the moment of salvation, God gave you a ministry for the benefit of all the members of the body of Christ. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you living it? Are you seeking to discover it? The Apostle Paul certainly did, and he shares the problems we experience when we live our ministry. All right, so let's begin the verse-by-verse study. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Now I, Paul, rejoice in my suffering. I don't think there's anybody who's ever lived who's suffered more than Paul. He said, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, the physical body, I do my share on behalf of Jesus Christ's body. And who is that? The church, the the body of Christ, the church-age believers, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, when you hear this verse, the first thought in the mind of a believer in Christ has to be, nothing is lacking in Christ's person or his works. So what exactly does Paul mean when he claims that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Because we as human beings always think we're so important in the plan of God and that we have to help God in every way, and he doesn't need our help. Well, filling up Christ's afflictions involves taking the gospel message to people, telling them about how the Lord allowed himself to be afflicted on their behalf, and then being afflicted yourself, getting rejected as you share the gospel message. Many times by your own family members and friends, one of the things that I did when I came back from sabbatical, because last year I was on sabbatical for the year, I turned off all the lessons from the past, and we had done probably 20 lessons in Colossians. And those 20 lessons really were just a rant, because... I was so upset about things that had happened in the church at the hands of people that I trusted who were betrayers. And, but that's exactly what happens to you when you're a believer in Christ. What happens? Suffering. And most of the time at the hands of people, and most of the time at the hands of people that you let closest to you. Now, when you take God's gospel message to people, you will suffer. Why? Because people have been turned off by religion, and they'll hear your message as religious. Oh, well, I'm not, I can't tell you how many people say that to me. Like, what do you do for a living? I do two things. I'm a pastor of a Christian church, and then I'm a consultant in customer development. Oh, well, I'm not that religious. You know, that's the first thing they say, their hand goes up, like, get away from me. I'm not that religious. You know, when I talk to them about sales, I don't get nearly as much resistance as if I ever make the mistake of mentioning the words Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden it's, ah! And and that's no matter where you go in the world. It's, It's just amazing to me. Well, so we suffer 
when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, but God uses our good work to show his afflictions through our afflictions. So when you see somebody who is trying to get the message of Jesus, Jesus Christ across and they're being pummeled for it, you see the exact same things that Jesus went through on a much lesser scale. He suffered as he spread the gospel message. And one of the things that was fun last year for me on sabbatical is studying the geography of the area where Jesus Christ was doing his ministry. There was Jerusalem at the bottom of the map, and there was Samaria in the middle of the map, and there's Judea at the top of the map. And when he was up in Judea, up by the Sea of Galilee, no problem. People were into what he was doing. They were listening to his message. They liked the miracles. As soon as he went to Jerusalem, where all of the the religious hierarchy was, that's when he encountered most of his problems, and that's ultimately the area where he was crucified. So he suffered constantly, spreading a message that was really simple. Believe in me and you'll be saved. Oh, but what else do I have to do? Nothing. Oh, well, that seems too easy. Yeah, for you. It's easy for you. It wasn't easy for him living 33 years of perfection and then going to a cross when he didn't deserve to go so that it would make it easy for you. So when people see us suffering as we spread the gospel message, they're seeing the exact same afflictions that the Lord experienced just on a much smaller scale. All right, well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll, be, we'll continue our verse-by-verse study of the last passage of Colossians chapter 1. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Today's Bible lesson, what impact is your ministry having on the world? Well, when we give the gospel message to unbelievers and they gift us by listening attentively, it's one of the most gratifying experiences in life. The gift of listening is the gift of intimacy. And when you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for us to give the gospel message to people all over the world through the internet. People are listening. Thank you for supporting this ministry with your generosity. Your unselfish giving is a reflection of our God, and it gives people around the world a chance to respond positively to a life-giving gospel message, the salvation offer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. try yours actually is it working all right good morning my name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries thank you I'm blessed because at Brown Ministries we're not scared to be called crazy because we're crazy to believe that the Bible in the Bible we're crazy to believe that the Bible is 
the inerrant canon of Scripture is the Word of God, that is the mind of Christ. And we're crazy to believe that Jesus Christ is God. And so for us, it's, you know, it's easy for us to sacrifice our lives to make more crazy people. I mean, to, to, to sacrifice our lives to get the Word of God out there and spread the good news about Christ. And for us at Broad Ministries, we learned that giving isn't just your money. It's your time, it's your talent, and your treasure. And when you give your time, it's not your last time. It's not the last bit of time at the end of the day. It's time you've scheduled for God. It's your first fruits. And your talent, your talent isn't just something we get from God or that we have in our life that we just use, that we're, we're artistic or we can sing. Our talent is our spiritual gift. And that's for us to use for Christ, for, for a ministry. And our treasure, the money that we get in Satan's world, that's to be given to, to Christ as well. We don't give of the last fruits, we give of our first fruits. So don't just give what you, you think you have remaining. Schedule time, schedule your, tra- your talent, and schedule your, your, uh, your money to give to Christ. These are things that matter in, in Barah Ministries. And we see in, in the Bible that it's, it's mirrored in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we know that if we sacrificed our time, talent, and treasure, God is, is happy, with, happy with us, and he's pleased with us. And that's a pretty major thing, I think, it goes over our heads. God is pleased with our sacrifices. And I think we think of, we think of our sacrifices as something bad each week. When I get up here, it's bad because I'm taking your money. But you're sacrificing your money you got in this world to give to Christ so that we can get the message out, so more people can have a relationship with Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what we want, is more people to be crazy. I mean, more people to love Christ. <laughs> so thank you for giving to Broad Ministries, and we always, we always cherish seeing your faces here and knowing that you're listening online. So thank you very much.
I'm good? Today's Bible lesson, what impact is your ministry having on the world? Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says this, Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, the physical body, I do my share on behalf of Jesus' body, which is the church, the body of Christ, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So again, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? You and your ministry are often lacking. In Satan's kingdom, the Lord's gospel message is perverted by false teachers with their false teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 say this, And even if our gospel message is veiled, and of course it is, that's a first-class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. Even if our gospel message is veiled, and it is, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Who are the ones who are perishing? Unbelievers, people who don't place their confidence in Jesus Christ for salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, In whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and instead they stay in the darkness. The Lord wants his believers in Christ to take the Lord's afflictions to people and to fill up the fullness by making the truth obvious to those we care about. What do we want people to know about God? He loves you unconditionally. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. The Lord loves you unconditionally. What does it mean when, when you love somebody unconditionally? It means that no matter what they do, you still love them and that nothing they do changes anything about how you love them. Is that the message that you've been sent about God in your lifetime? That he's a, a God who loves you unconditionally? No, it isn't. You've been deceived into thinking that he, it all started with the Santa Claus song. He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. That's not God. That is not how God is with you. He loves you whether you're good or you're bad. We can't even conceive it that he would allow Hitler into heaven. He would allow Joseph Stalin into heaven. That he would allow Saddam Hussein into heaven if they were willing to believe in him. We can't even conceive of that. You know why? Because you would never do it. But you would have to agree. You're not God. He's different. We can't believe that God has forgiven every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. Can't believe it. So when we sin, we're sitting there, and the fact is we're guilty. There are two types of guilt. There's the fact of being guilty. I sinned. And then there's the feeling of it. Oh, I have to do penance. Oh, I have to wring my hands. And oh, if I just feel bad enough about it, God will like me better. No, he likes you fine now. You don't have to go through all that mental gymnastics for God. And that when you make mistakes, he gives you grace. We can't accept that. Because think about parents. You know, how good are parents when their kids make a mistake at just accepting the fact that kids actually make mistakes? I remember when my boys were young and they would they would be carrying glass. And they were in the Montessori school. So in the Montessori schools, they don't give you plastic. They give you glass. So they would have to carry stuff and then they would drop it, they'd drop the glass, and it would break. 
And it, it was always funny to me because they'd break something and they'd look. It's like, clean it up, man. You're not going to kill me? No, it's illegal. <laughs> not that I wouldn't want to kill you. It would save me a lot of money. Just clean it that up. That joke was not funny. That joke was very funny. <laughs> but, you know, we, we freak out when we make mistakes. I can't believe I made a mistake. Every successful, the successful people of our world are the ones who make the most mistakes. They keep screwing things up until they figure out what works. And all the people who are mistake averse, they have miserable lives. They don't do anything with their lives. Because they, you know, they, they do nothing and succeed. God is gracious to you when you make mistakes. He expects you to make mistakes. He's omniscient. He knew you before you knew you. He knew you before he created you. And he knows what mistakes you're going to make. And when you do, he's going to give you grace. Not like your family members. Your family members don't give you any grace for making mistakes. As a matter of fact, they hold your mistakes against you for years and years and years and years. God's not like that. And so that's what we got to get, that God is different from everybody else. The Lord wants his believers in Christ to take the Lord's afflictions to people and to fill up the fullness by making the truth obvious to those we care about. But there's a cost, suffering. False teachers and their false teaching are always in our way, just like they were in Colossae. And let's, let's just face the facts. We believe the false teachers more than we believe the ones who are teaching the truth. We just believe them. When somebody tells you how easy it is to make money in the stock market, for example, what's the first thing you say? Oh, that's too good to be true. Yeah, because you believe liars. That's why it's too good to be true. Because you've been deceived and hurt and you think everybody's that way. Everybody isn't that way. What is lacking? What's lacking is our presentation of the gospel message. What is filling up? It's us living our ministry on behalf of Christ. What do we do? We proclaim how the Lord allowed himself to be afflicted on our behalf and on behalf of the whole world, believers and unbelievers alike. It's easy to understand why God would die for his believers. He died for unbelievers as well. He loves unbelievers unconditionally. He loves Satan unconditionally, even though Satan betrayed him and has and turned all of the angels against him. He still loves them. So what do we do as believers in Christ with our ministry? We take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And for us, the ends of the earth is just one person at a time. For this, we will suffer. I can, I can tell you so many instances where I have shared the gospel message with people and they have resisted and rejected it to my face. I, I'm thinking of one lady in particular. I sat on a flight with her for four hours and evangelized to her. And she told me that I was nuts. And then 10 years later, she sent me a message through LinkedIn. And she said, guess who's a believer in Christ? 
And I said, who? <laughs> she said, me. And she said, when I became a believer in Christ, I reflected on those four hours of hell I put you through on that flight where I refused to listen to anything you had to say. And she said, I don't know how you sat there for all four hours patiently with me just explaining Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. How did you do it? I said, three white wines. <laughs> that was really funny. It'll hit you later. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Of this church, I, Paul, was made a minister. Put that up, please. Of this church, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Paul isn't just talking about himself here. He's describing every believer in Christ. That's our charge. We are ministers sent from God. We are given a ministry, and we are stewards from God, into whose care the gospel message is placed. God wants us to take the word of God to the nations, calling them to faith in Christ. Okay, you don't want to take them to the nations? Just take them to your friends. Take them to your family. But what's going to happen? You're going to suffer. They're going to reject you. They're going to tell you you can't possibly know. That's what God meant when he said a man's enemies are the members of his own household. That's what he meant when he says a prophet has honor, just not in his own hometown and not with his own family members. I had a brother who was a Jehovah's Witness, and before that a Roman Catholic, and when I told him about the gospel message, what do you think he did? Rejected it. And his whole family rejected it. I wrote a book on salvation and handed it to his wife. And she turned physically cringe, refusing to even touch the book. Okay. Okay. Does that hurt my feelings? Of course it does. Of course it does. And not because it hurts me. It hurts me to know what her rejection of Christ means to her. Because salvation is so simple. It happens at a moment in time, and the result is it stands finished forever. It's so easy. But I have a ministry. And I don't mind taking the gospel message to people. When we preach the gospel message, what we're offering people is hope. Hope. Hope that as we get older, and I, I will tell you that as, as I get older, there are so many events in my life that could easily rob me of hope. You know, I'm going through tremendous physical challenges now. My eyes, my spine, my heart. Tremendous physical challenges. It's obvious that this body is breaking down. It's not a surprise. It's not at all a surprise. And, and those are the things that can rob you of hope. All last year, I could barely walk because of this spine issue. My heart isn't beating the way it ought to beat. It's confused. It's called atrial fibrillation. It's confused. It's beating in an irregular pattern. I've had that since I was a kid. But as we get older and that starts happening, we start thinking, oh, man. Oh, man. I'm on my way out. Oh, man. So what? 
I'm not going to let that rob me of hope. I spent a lot of time in Mayo Clinic right now, one of the finest hospitals in the world, and I see a lot of guys over there who've given up. You know, at 70 years old, if you hit 65 and you're a non-smoker, you're probably going to live to be 90. You can give up at 70. You can give up. They don't dress well. They don't smell good. Limping around. Grabbing on walkers. I don't want a walker. Yeah, it hurts to walk. I don't want a walker. Why? Hope. Hope. I have a lot to look forward to in this life. The stuff that I've done up to this point in my life, that was the easy stuff. What's going to happen between now and the time I close my eyes in this life is going to be even greater than that. And if I didn't believe that, if I didn't know that with absolute certainty, I wouldn't want to be here. How about you? Have you given up? Have you given up on your life? Have you given up on your dreams? What do you care about? What are you looking forward to? Because when you live in a world with false teachers and false teaching, they're always trying to rob you of hope. Not here. We're talking about hope. In the world, as unbelievers, they have no hope. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. Paul says to the Thessalonian believers, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who are physically dead, so that you won't grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Have you been to some of these funerals? This is misery. You know, we lost our friend John Mercure this week. And when we talk about the fact that we're going to have a celebration of life for him, that's exactly what we're going to have. Not only the life that he lived on this earth, but the life that he's still living. Because the soul, once born, never dies. You get to choose where it spends eternity. He's not dead. His physical body is dead. He's not dead. He's in heaven, enjoying face-to-face relationship with the Lord, a relationship that he started here on earth at a single moment in time. But you go to some of these funerals of unbelievers, and it's just miserable. And, you know, I have an uncle who owned a funeral home, so I've been to a lot of funerals and watched a lot of people just miserable. Why? Because when death hits somebody close to us, it starts tuning us in, like, what's going to happen to me when I'm gone? You know what's going to happen to me when I'm gone? I'm going to get cremated, and there's not going to be a service. Let's have a party. Have a party. Celebrate in your homes. Because <laughs> if you're a believer in Christ, you will see me again. I'll be the loud noise that you hear when you enter heaven. It'll be me. Yo! <laughs> Colossians, verse one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Yeah, you're laughing because you know that's exactly what's going to happen. Preaching about the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, a mystery 
that has now been manifested, manifested means made clearly visible, to God the Father's saints. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a saint. What you were before you became a saint, as an unbeliever, you were a sinner. Once you believe in Christ, you are a saint, and you don't have to do any miracles for it. It's a gift from God. You are, what does it mean to be a saint? It means you are set apart, you are privileged. And one of God's privileges to you is your ministry. And now that that mystery is clear to you as a saint, you are to spread that news to the whole world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. You are saints to whom God the Father will to make known what are the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? Christ indwelling you. The hope, the absolute confidence of your future glory. Christ indwelling you. As a matter of fact, for church-age believers, we're in the fourth of seven divine dispensations. It's called the church age. And in the church age, every believer in Christ is indwelled by the entire Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why I laugh so much at believers in Christ who think they have goals and dreams and they can't accomplish them when they have the divine trinity indwelling them. They have all the power inside of them that they need. They have the same power inside of them that resurrected Christ from the dead. And they're biting their nails when they set a goal. I don't know, can I do it? I don't know, I hope so. So the Bible calls the present age the church age. In theological circles, it's known as the dispensation of the mystery. It's the dispensation to the Gentiles. The dispensation, which is a divine time period of history. In biblical terminology, a mystery is not something not known, is something not known until it is revealed by God at the proper time. And the mystery God the Father is pleased to introduce to church-age saints is the promise of an unspeakably amazing future. The mystery of the church-age is Christ indwelling you along with the other two members of the Trinity. In fact, the whole Trinity is indwelling you church-age believers. Your body is a temple housing the entire Godhead. Well, what is it that your ministry can't accomplish with that group inside of you. Oh, well, see, I don't like talking to people about God because I'm not very articulate. I don't like talking to people about God because, you know, I, I, I don't have all the Bible verses. Okay, well, you sit here and you hear the Bible verses every week. How come you don't know them? But okay, just give them a book. Do I have any books in there? I don't have any books in there. Just give them a book. Give them this. The Bible. Highlight a couple of verses. Turn them to John chapter 3, verse 36. Turn them to Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Turn, turn them to John chapter 14, verse 6. Turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and just show them what the Bible says about what's possible for them. And they'll reject you. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm stubborn. No. You're an asshole. <laughs> That's completely different. 
Why? Because it's too good to be true that salvation could be that easy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all spiritual wisdom, so that we may present every man who's in union with Christ as complete before God the Father. What are believers to do with their ministry? We do what Paul did. We proclaim Christ and we admonish everyone. We teach everyone. We grow in spiritual wisdom by doing so. What does it mean to admonish? It means to advise, to counsel against something. I like to counsel my friends against going to the lake of fire. I like to advise them to take a different path. In our ministry, we are ambassadors for Christ. And what that means to be an ambassador is we represent our sovereign God in a foreign kingdom, Satan's kingdom, here on planet Earth. As ambassadors, we admonish unbelievers. Here's what we say to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ, as though God the Father were making an appeal through us, because he is. And we beg you, unbelievers, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Realize that Jesus Christ tore down the barrier between God and man. And now gives us direct access to God. We don't need to go through any intermediaries, not through saints, not through priests, not through anybody. We can go directly to God. Our ministry message is simple. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everybody in your household who also believe. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. For this purpose also I, Paul, labor, striving according to God the Father's power, which mightily works in me. What is Paul's purpose that has him working so hard and suffering so much? It's labor for the Lord. It's striving to use God's power to accomplish the Lord's work, spreading the gospel message in a lost and dying world. So let's conclude this lesson with Kenneth Wiest's translation of the package. And I love the Wiest translation, which is really, really accurate and really close to the original Greek. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. This will close our study of Colossians chapter 1. I, Paul, now am rejoicing in my sufferings on your behalf. And for my part... I'm filling up the things lacking regarding the afflictions of the Christ in my flesh for the sake of the Lord's body, which is the church, of which church I became a servant according to the stewardship of God the Father, which was given to me for you, that I may fulfill the word of God, preaching the mystery which has been kept hidden from past ages and from the generations of the past, but now is made clearly known to his saints to which saints God the Father desired to make known in an experiential way, not in a theoretical way. What is the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you, the hope of glory? Colossians 1.28, whom we are constantly announcing, admonishing every man and instructing every man in every, in, in every spiritual wisdom, 
so that we may present every man in union with Christ Jesus as spiritually mature before God the Father. Colossians 1.29 And to that end I am also constantly laboring to the point of exhaustion, engaging in a contest in which I am controlled by God the Father's energy, which operates in me in divine power. Most people sit around all weekend doing nothing, bored out of their minds. Some are quite productive on the weekends. Billionaire Bill Gates said, just in terms of the allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Like Bill Gates, people prefer the comfort of doing nothing on the weekends over the discomfort of listening to and concentrating on the Word of God to see what life is from God's perspective or the discomfort of setting aside a few hours to spread the gospel message to others we know. And now you know why God says that it's going to be really difficult for rich people to get into heaven because they don't think they need God. They think they're completely self-sufficient. Well, I'll tell you what, when you get to heaven, nobody's going to be asking for a check. Admission to heaven is free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in. And St. Peter isn't going to be sitting at the pearly gate. The Lord would never put somebody who betrayed him at the gate. No, we'll be absent from the body and face to face with the Lord as believers in Christ, he will give us a personal escort into heaven. And there's no gate. Well, I don't know about you, but I can. Can you imagine what it will be like to be Barah Ministries, plural? Can you imagine what it will be like when you decide to investigate what your spiritual gift is? and bring it into play for all mankind without being told by anybody that you should do it? I can. And I look forward to it. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are dedicated to anyone anywhere who is undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to take a moment and make the most important decision of your life. How would it be to know that there is someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you aren't interested in meeting them? That may be your situation because the creator of the universe created you and he loves you unconditionally and you may not have a relationship with him. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. You can have a relationship with your creator and he's actually looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost? And the one which is lost is a reference to an unbeliever. 
who doesn't go after the one that's lost until he finds it. Luke 15, 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep, which was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, an unbeliever, who repents, who changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. The bad news is that God is looking for you, and you definitely are not looking for him. Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say this, No creature understands God or any divine thing, No creature seeks a relationship with God. All creatures have turned aside from God. Together they have become useless. No creature does good. There is not even one. So if you're a believer in Christ, guess what? God found you. You didn't find him. All of us were born in a state of unrighteousness. We were physically alive and spiritually dead as an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. When we see babies born, we tickle them under the chin and we say goo goo gaga, but we don't really realize that we're looking at an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever at that moment. It's not your fault that you were born that way, but it is your circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says this, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what God calls the gospel message. God has a personal salvation plan for every unbeliever. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Acts 16, 27. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because in ancient Rome, allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. So this guy was just going to do it himself. Acts 16, 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Obviously, the guard had been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing. Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, 
you and everyone in your household who also believe. Believe. Simply take God's word for it, for what it takes to be saved. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It is simply you using the gift of faith given to you by God, placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the ticket to eternal life. Well, how did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis, he recognized he needed a savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved, believers in Christ. They presented the accurate gospel message to him, and the jailer did what was suggested, and he was saved. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Don't wait for a crisis to be saved. Do it now. The news goes from bad to worse if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 say this, The wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them, for God the Father made himself evident to them from the inside of them. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and His divine nature, His deity, have been clearly seen by all man mankind, being understood even through what has been made, nature, God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God. If you've ever looked up at the sky, on a really dark night and seen all those scars, stars in the sky not colliding. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and you've seen that beautiful piece of artwork, you have to know that there's a God. God makes himself clearly visible in ways that make sense to human beings, both from the inside of them and from the outside of them. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jail guard in Acts chapter 16, verse 31 and following? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Put that up. Acts 16.32 And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation offer to the jailer together with all the people who were in his house. Luke 16.33 And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be dunked in water. And he was... He, and all his household who also believed, and all of them did. 
Acts 16.34, And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ with his whole household. Wouldn't you like to spend all eternity in heaven? Don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. All right, we'll close in song. It's amazing how persuasive and pervasive the false gospel messages of the religions of the world become because false messages go viral too. One lady said, the reason I am poor is that I disappointed the gods in a previous life. I must work harder. A man said, Christianity, Islam, Catholicism, Buddhism, it's all the same. False. A monk said, I hope the good I do in this life outweighs the bad. That has nothing to do with salvation. Religion, the false gospel, that good works might get you to heaven, is designed to turn people off to God, to make people indifferent or antagonistic to God. Because people know deep down inside that they aren't basically good people. So they become slaves to religion, trying their hardest to please God. When it's apparent they can't, they give up on God instead of giving up on religion. Well, here's June Murphy to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to freedom.
Getting that a lot today. All right, let's offer words of praise to our Lord, beginning with Psalm 95. Hang on. Now, this thing's acting a fool. There we go. Beginning with Psalm 95 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and we are the sheep of his hand. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, divinely loved ones, be steadfast, be immovable, and keep on abounding in the work of the Lord, always knowing that your labor is not in vain when you're in union with the Lord. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for reminding us as believers in Christ that we have a spiritual gift, a gift you designed so that we could give it away. Thank you for reminding us that all believers have an obligation because of your command to spread the gospel message to every person that we can. Thank you for providing the resources to making to make communicating the gospel message easy. Encourage us to stop the busyness of our lives regularly to help those around us to secure their eternal future. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. I know what that means. You're glad it's over. <laughs> Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor at pastor at baraministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.